Welcome to the Church in the North podcast. I'm your host, Rob Chartrand, Program Coordinator for Christian Ministry at Briarcrest College, and I'm joined by my co-hosts. We've got Jeff Dresser, Assistant Professor of Worship Arts. Say hello, Jeff. Hey, Rob. And Dan Goddard, he's the lead pastor of Victory Church in Musha. Say hello. Hey, good to be here. Well, hey, guys, thanks for joining me in the studio this morning. It's a bright, sunny day here in Cairnport, Saskatchewan, on the campus of Briarcrest. And uh, we got lots to talk about, but I'm going to get right into something. I, I mean, I've had a bit of a problem in my in my yard, in my house lately, is uh, I've had a lot of insect infestations. And I wasn't prepared for this. Moving from Edmonton, Alberta, landing in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, I was just uh, overwhelmed by the number of insects that there are here in this city. So I had a whole bunch of uh, my Christian ministry students over to my house um, about a week and a half ago. They were outside in my backyard on my deck and whatnot. And there were like wasps everywhere, like wasps just driving us crazy out on the deck. Now we had wasps in Edmonton. I mean, that wasn't a wasn't a big problem. We had a lot of wasps kicking around here. You guys have any wasp problems in your backyard? <laughs> How are you, Dan? Not so much in the backyard, but I, I can relate to your uh, challenge there because whenever we've tried to do a church barbecue or get together an outdoor thing uh, with with burgers or sweets uh, at this time of year, we have had wasp problems. So, right. yes, sir. Yeah, Jeff, you you got wasp problems in your yard? I'm, I'm... Uh, I haven't. Not so much here, but when I was in Winnipeg, we had a uh, my son got stung by wasps one afternoon, and we we discovered there was like a wasp nest the size of a basketball on a little tree in our backyard. And so I asked my friend who was a beekeeper, uh, I figured bees, wasps, kind of the same Mm -hmm. deal, what I should do to get rid of this thing. And he said, well, whatever you do, don't use the chemicals because the chemicals harm like the bees and all the other, the other things. So he told me first, uh, wait till nighttime, uh, cause they're less active at night. (laughs) And then, uh, he said, get a light, but don't, you don't hold the light cause they're attracted to the light. Get your so, child so, to hold so the light. Set up, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> set, set up another light, and yeah. then he said, "Put on all your winter clothes to protect yourself." And then he said, "Get a garbage bag and take the garbage bag and wow. then tie it up over the thing." And then they like overheat and suffocate, and it kills them, right? Naturally. Right. So I I went out the night I set set the light up, and I had like all my winter you know gloves and coat and ski goggles and everything, and I went up to this thing, and I had my my garbage bag. And, uh, and so I, I was like just getting closer and I just like touched the end of the branch that the wasp nest was on. Oh man, I'm cringing. And this is terrible. Instantly like a hundred, like 500 wasps came out and just were like on the outside, uh, like crawling around on the outside of the nest. And so I looked at that and said, okay, chemicals it is. <laughs> and uh, so I went back inside, and uh, the next day I went and got the uh, the big foam spray bomb thing yeah, from yeah. Canadian Tire. And at a very safe distance, I just sprayed that thing and uh, killed the nest. Wow. So, wow. So that was my experience yeah. with, uh, with wasps. Yeah. Well, you know, the reason I bring it up is there's, there's an article I, I just recently read because, I, I, of course, I'm wondering, what's the deal with wasps? So I Googled it and I looked it up. And and apparently, like, this time of year, uh, the, the old queen uh, in most wasps nests, like, wasps only last a season, right? So okay. so they have to give rebirth every, every every single year. And so the old queen has died. And now the drones um, are starving and they have mm-hmm. no purpose. Like, they, they're not, you know, picking sure. up eggs or anything like that. They're just flying around. Uh, aimless, pointless, uh, with nothing to do, and they're starving, and so they're you know they're causing trouble. Yeah, they're dive bombing us, and and they're uh, they got issues with with us. Um, uh, yeah, so that's that's why they're a, a bit of an annoyance at this time of year. So yeah, so the yeah. lesson is like. 
Keep busy. So, y- young males without purpose is a problem for society. Yeah, when the cat's away, the mice do play. And so that's the issue, right? So kill the leadership and this is what's going to happen. You're going to have a whole okay. bunch of dive bombing wasps uh, all over the place. Um, yeah. So I, so the other problem I had though in my house was flies. Like I, I, I've never, like when I lived in Edmonton, I'm like get one or two flies in my house every year. And that's, that's about it. I don't know if it's where it's located or if it's just like it's, we're in a newer development and there weren't enough flies. I'm not sure. Um, so yeah, I've, I've got, I, the students are coming in and out of my house. I've got like 40, 50 flies in my house and they're crazy. I like they're, and they're annoying flies. It's not like, like, like they're dive bombing you. You know what that's, that's yeah, like? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. You're working on your computer and suddenly they, they know you're vulnerable and they're going <laughs> to take advantage of you. So so I, I went on Amazon and I bought um, a bug zapper, like an indoor bug zapper. Like, okay. And um, it's the cat's meow. Like this thing is is, is awesome. My, I will admit, Karen, uh, she did scoff at me. She's like, oh, you're wasting money on Amazon again. I got a bit of a problem. Uh, so I got that. But I got this bug zapper in my house. And now it's it's yeah. just glorious. And, it works. And, oh, yeah. And, yeah. and like about every hour it goes off. It's like a gun going off in the house. Startling. Totally. It makes you go, oh, what was that? You know, uh, but then in, deep down inside, you're like right. rel- relishing this, this moment idea of that, satisfaction. Yeah, that's, that this fly, uh, fly has done. Has, has died in my my house so um you got you, hey you uh you guys uh heard about these uh these murder hornets in county remember that during covid like we, we if we didn't have enough problems in the world we suddenly had these uh murder hornets uh in yeah in i Canada. remember yeah I just want to say kudos to the marketing team for the name Murder Hornet. That's just some some excellent brand differentiation uh, there. Because like killer bees, you know, they, they, when I, I remember hearing about killer bees when I was a kid, but you know, killer it could be like manslaughter, or depraved indifference, <laughs> yeah. but murder. Like these hornets have malice aforethought. Yeah, that's like pretty that, serious. Oh yeah, you're gonna click on that link when it you, does when you have see a about murder clickbait hornets. to it, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it, I, I mean it's yeah. two syllables in each word, and it's got an R in it. Murder hornet. I mean, like, come on, that's Sounds catchy. Good, that's yeah. got a good vibe. Yeah, I but was the, in they, Thailand when that that broke. I was actually in like wow. during COVID, you know, okay. beginning of COVID, yeah. and on a mission trip with my son and. Uh, and they have giant hornets in Thailand. Yeah, they're yeah. not murder hornets, yeah, I've but they're seen giant yeah, hornets. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and so I, I see some of those. And in my mind, you know, you got so many things rolling around in your mind. But all you think is like, I'm going to die. Yeah. It's, it's going to murder me. <laughs> yeah. and, and you know, somewhere there is a scientist who's trying to crossbreed the giant and the murder hornets. Sure, to, sure. To make the giant murder hornets. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, now they said that they haven't seen a murder hornet in Canada since like 2021. So right. they may be assuming they're they're gone. But that... that May or not, not be true. I may or may not. I, I think it's just there've been no convictions for murder from from a murder hornet. <laughs> just just, uh, just allegations and like hung jury. And that type yeah, of yeah. Well, it's like rats in Alberta. You know, the rats stop at the border. There are no rats right. in Alberta. They can't, can't possibly be. Um, we could go down a bunny trail on that, but we won't. But yeah. Yeah, so um, I don't think murder hornets would make it to Saskatchewan. Like I, I just think it's a it's a little bit cold. Um, yeah. Although I guess other hornets and and whatnot survive, but uh, anyway, those things are a nightmare. Uh, speaking of nightmares, let's talk about preacher dreams. Let's talk about preacher nightmares. Hmm. Um, you guys ever have like uh, kind of recurring nightmares as as pastors? Uh, how are you, Dan? Well, probably the main one would be uh, being without my notes. You know, because I'm I. I actually sometimes feel guilty for being too dependent on my notes, try to preach a little yeah, yeah, yeah. With, less with notes. Yeah. And so sometimes the th- thought will hit me uh, is uh, what would happen if, right. you know, got yeah. up there and had the wrong set of notes or had no notes or the, 
you know, yeah. computer died in the middle of the sermon or something like that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. This is a word. So what do you, what do you do? Do you just preach through it in your dream or do you wake up? <laughs> just wake up in a cold sweat. Oh, okay. and, oh no. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Jeff? You, you got any dreams? Yeah. Yeah. I have a recurring worship leader dream Okay. where, um, the service is about to start and there's something I need to start the service, <laughs> like my guitar or something like that. And I cannot find it. And, uh, and the service never starts. Okay. Um, but I just sort of, my anxiety just sort of asymptotically rises as, as the service time gets right. closer yeah. and, and I'm looking for it and I'm, and the search is taking me further and further away from yeah. the auditorium right. yeah. to the stage. And, um, so, so yeah, that's my, I, I know when I'm, if I'm getting that regularly, I need to make some changes in my life. Too much stress. <laughs> yeah. 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 At one point it was getting so bad that, um, I thought I, I, I got to quit. I'm going to resign. So then like I made the meeting with my pastor and then oh, wow. right before the meeting, wow. I was like, wait, where's my resignation letter? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I'm like, like you, Dan, I, I, uh, I, I do have the ones I can't find my notes. I can't find my notes or somebody has asked me to preach and I forgot. And they're like, Oh, just go up and do it. You know? And I get up there on stage. I don't have a Bible or anything like that. Or I'm, I'm, I'm indecisive about what Bible passage I'm actually going right. to use while I'm preaching. And yeah. I just, it's an absolute, uh, it's, it's, it's a nightmare and it never gets solved. It never gets solved. It's like, it, like, do you ever have like high school dreams? Like you go back and you can't find your locker, anything like that. Um, any recurring, Oh, I've got a lot of high school or, or, or the other one is I, um, I, I'm in university and I it's near the end of the semester and I had signed up for a class and I forgot. And so suddenly I'm, I'm scrambling to get the notes for this class because I have to write an exam in right. like an hour yeah. kind of yeah. thing. Um, yeah. Anyway, I don't know what that's about. Maybe we should all seek yeah. counseling and seek yeah, help. Yeah, yeah. Well, we do some... have a counseling department here yeah. in Briarcrest. We can maybe, we can maybe, maybe talk to somebody. Um, I had a nightmare that, uh, in university, I, uh, I went to go to the final exam thing and the final, everyone was in this big, huge gymnasium and you go, you find your section for your class. And I sit down and I, I open the exam paper and I look at it and I don't recognize any of the, any of the questions hmm. and I'm turning over and I'm keeping, uh, looking at the front page and like the course goes, is this the course I'm in? I'm like, yeah, this is the course I'm in. O only like that wasn't a, a nightmare that actually did happen to me for multivariable <laughs> calculus. So m maybe that's why I'm not doing engineering anymore. And that's, maybe that's why I just play guitar and sing. Yeah. I mean, it, it did actually happen to me as well. I was, uh, I was in my late twenties, got, uh, a child at home, a baby, and I got another one kind of coming on the way here. And uh, I was in university at University of Regina studying philosophy. And it was a summer course. And I didn't realize that um, during the summer, uh, I got this letter in the mail from the university saying, oh, here's your here's your bill for the class for these two classes. I'm like, classes? I'm not taking these. I forgot I registered for these two classes oh. um, just in case. Like, I, yeah. And this is back like when computers were just, just kind of, uh, there wasn't a lot of online registration. So it was like all done by mail or in person. So it was like two weeks into this class and I had paid for these. I had to take these classes. I paid for them. And if I wasn't going to take sure. them, then I, so I, I raced to the university and I actually had to take the classes. One of them was, was like a logic class, like a 100 level logic. So and the other one was a 100 level French class. So, oh, man. Um, wow. and they weren't going to let me take the French class. Uh, 
because it was like language based and like, no, it's two weeks in, you can't uh, do it. And I said, oh, come on. I studied Greek. I studied Hebrew. My dad speaks French. You got to let me in. <laughs> and so they let me in. Uh, anyway, uh, so that's probably why I have these nightmares. If you, you had made the argument in French, that, then they would have had to <laughs> yes. let you in. Uh, Those are good stories. Sure. You guys are going to make it into some sermon illustrations probably this <laughs> yeah. week. So appreciate it. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, this is probably a pretty stressful time for our ministry leaders. Um, things are getting kicked off. Uh, their calendars are overwhelmed. Mm. Um, so, you know, for those of our listeners who are having uh, maybe nightmares, uh, stress-induced nightmares, yeah. we feel you. We feel you. We, we know yeah. what that's all about. Uh, hey, this week we've got a great um, guest. His name's Jeremiah Kapule. Uh, and he's with Sen Calgary. He's a microchurch planter, and he's a trainer of um, missional leaders. And uh, we're going to have a great conversation um, talking about um, multiplying disciples, church planting, co-vocational ministry. And uh, he's got a fabulous story uh, that I think our, our listeners are going to look forward to uh, to hearing of his journey from the Philippines to Canada and hmm. then jumping into the ministry that he's... Um, it's all about here so um, yeah I'm looking forward to hearing that great uh, yeah so I I hope our listeners enjoy and uh, guys thanks for joining me this morning thank you all right well hey we are excited to have on the podcast today Jeremiah Capule and he works with Send Network uh, based out of Calgary Alberta and uh, we're excited to have you on the show so welcome Jeremiah thanks Rob I'm glad to be here Hey, uh, we want to talk about uh, the exciting work that God's doing uh, in your context and uh, what's happening there. But before we do that, why don't you just tell us a little bit about Send Network? Tell us a little bit about what your role is there. Mm, yeah, sure. Well, so I'm um, officially a church planter with the Send Network, although my official role is um, I'm the strategy coordinator for the Jonathan Initiative, which is an initiative of Alberta Underground. So that's the, um, uh, that's the organization that I put together and it's, it consists of a, a network of microchurches. So, so basically the Jonathan Initiative is a, you can, you can say it's a training movement that seeks to produce what we call a, a level five disciple maker or discipler maker, multiplying discipler makers. Normally, people who get to this level of uh, being a disciple maker, they they typically find themselves starting and leading a reproducing microchurch or simple church. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's a ton we can unpack there. And uh, I'm going to put in a, put a pin in disciple maker for a bit. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on. Mm. But why don't you break this idea down for us a little bit more for us. Uh, so first of all, what is a micro church? And I mean, for a lot of our listeners that maybe aren't familiar with the idea of micro church, maybe mm. compare that, maybe how that might be different than say a small church. Uh, so tell mm. us about micro churches. Yeah, well, actually, if you make a small church even smaller and simpler, you know, that you, you might have an idea or, or a, a small group. You know, there's yeah. a lot of churches that have small groups. And you, if you have a, a healthy small groups led by 
volunteers, co-vocational people, disciple makers in different fields. Yeah. And they um, they try to live together, you know, as a community of Christ followers in worship in and pursuing the mission together. That 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 actually is a, a picture of a microchurch. So basically a microchurch or we, we call them sometimes simple churches. This these are spiritual families of Jesus followers that are learning together, to live together through the indwelling life of Jesus. They, they seek to love God and their neighbors, and they, they want to, um, as a team together, participate in God's mission in making disciples in, in simple and relational ways. So microchurches, they, they find their purpose and identity in, in, in being sent ones, you know, God's sent ones, and and they do it together as a team. And sometimes microchurches can actually grow, although although we encourage um, uh, microchurches to, to stay small, and, and we do that by multiplying, right? So okay. you get to a point where when you need a, a sound system, right, then, you know, <laughs> that, that for us is already a mega church, right? right. Uh, and um, we, we want to keep it simple, not, not just because we're, we're, we're trying to stay away from the complicated stuff like, you know, buildings and budgets and programs and registrations, but we want to keep the multipli- multiplication going, right? In, in every, every person, we, we want to see every disciple become a multiplier, and that's, I think, that's the foundational idea behind um, uh, at least the version of microchurch that our network um, pursues. Okay, okay. So, I mean, multiplication is a huge part of that. Uh, discipleship making is a huge part of that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, l- let me just tease this out a little bit. I, I, um, I'm attending a church, and I go to a small group that meets. Mm-hmm. Um, it's set up by my church. We might meet every week. We might meet every other week. And, you know, I go to my small group, and um, we have a Bible study. We might watch a video. We might eat a little bit of food, maybe pray together a little bit. And then if somebody gets in trouble, we might lean into that a little bit to help the member of my group. But that's that's kind of what a small group is. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, how is that different than, say, a micro church? Like, what's, what, what is it about a micro church that makes it so different and unique? Wow, that's an excellent question, um, Rob. In fact... Um, a lot of um, a lot of the guys that that's become interested in this whole idea of microchurches are also part of churches and mm. and the first step that we almost always tell them is just start start setting up um, small groups right mm. and see these small groups become healthy small groups some of the churches uh, some of the leaders and churches that we coach rob they they have um, um, small groups already cell groups d groups whatever they call it right but the question is okay how do we see these groups become healthy groups and and health is all, like in in our definition it's always accompanied by multiplication. You okay. have a sign, always a sign of a healthy disciple and a healthy small group or a healthy microchurch or even a healthy regional church. Because once you have several microchurches together, you form a regional or a network of microchurches, right? But almost always in each of those levels, we want to see multiplication happening. Mm. And, um, and multiplication never happens when the group is simply stuck in studying scripture 
right? I mean, yeah. studying scripture is definitely part of it. Yeah. But yeah. what does it look like to obey together, to be faithful together, to really apply individually and corporately as a team together the things that they are learning in scriptures, right? Mm -hmm. And and this is one of the biggest I think transitional points in many people's um, like those who are part of small small groups already this is the hardest part right because I, I think here in North America people are so used to okay I'll, I'll hear something I'll learn something and it's just completely up to me how I'm going to go about it how I'm going to do it if at all he or she is going to do it right but small churches small micro churches um, they practice a, a, a more intentional accountability, mm. right? And we, we record, you know, steps of obedience that every, every member make. And we hold people accountable in, in, a, in a gentle, empowering way, right? Yeah. But when, when we meet together, it's, the question is it's not just, you know, what passage are we studying today, but... The first question is, what happened to the to this week's application, to last week's steps of obedience, to the mm -hmm. people that we committed to share the scripture to, to the people that we committed to reach out to or call or share the gospel or our testimony to, right? So it's a very intentional process like this. Every every gathering is like a training, right? It's mm -hmm. it's um and 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 there's um there's a very um cooperative relational thing going yeah. on yeah. and this this is something that I find um, uh, a cultural roadblock should I say especially here in North America right mm. like so I, I'm a Filipino and our culture is very relational yeah. we find our identity normally in the group and uh, we share you know stuff you know people don't normally feel um, violated when when people are asking personal questions, things like this, and so I think it makes it more natural uh, for this kind of uh, church uh, uh, culture to to be promoted, to be practiced. Right here, people are very private, Rob. Right? Mm. They they're like, okay, you you. If I don't give you permission to ask these questions, then don't you you, you cannot ask them. So that's that's one difficulty. Okay. But I, I, I hope you're seeing the intentionality, right? So yeah. microchurches are pretty intentional. Yeah, in so I'm, I mean I'm picking up on intentionality. I'm I'm picking on a picking up a, a high degree of commitment uh, mm -hmm. to be a follower of Jesus and be accountable as a follower of Jesus. Right. Uh, yeah. I'm picking up um, uh, multiplication and disciple making and evangelism are central to these uh, as well, and Very. and, mm -hmm. I, and I'll even picking up on like that. This is what everybody does. It's not just the leaders, but it's part of every person mm -hmm. who's participating. Um, yeah, I kind of reading yeah. your yeah. Okay, good. Okay, that, so, that's crucial. The, the last bit, Rob, that you mentioned. Yeah. Every disciple is a disciple maker. Yeah. In fact, a disciple who is not yet a disciple maker, we don't have a lot of evidence that that person is already a disciple, right? Right. So disciple making and reproduction becomes a concrete um, evidence, at least for us. Of course, no one can ever judge whatever's true in the hearts of people, right? It's between them and the Lord. But as far as the group in, is concerned, we, we use disciple making also as a metric of gauging if a person is truly committed to Jesus. Yeah. 
Yeah, so uh, disciple, a disciple is not really a disciple until they've reproduced a disciple because to be a disciple, you have to follow Jesus in obedience. And one of those steps That's of obedience right. is to go and make disciples. So Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Hey, let me, let me pivot for just a second here and, and mm-hmm. let's talk about your story a little bit. Uh, you've already mentioned, if, if people haven't guessed it, you're Filipino and uh, you're, you're fairly new to Canada. So tell us a bit about your journey from, from the Philippines to Canada and what ministry has looked like for you. Yeah, so our daughter, our oldest daughter, Yesha, she turned six last February, and she was born in the Philippines. So we're 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 here in Canada for you know about six years. Yeah. And um, before that, we were we were in the Philippines. I I became part of a a, a, a church, one of the thirteen pastors of a of a huge church in the yeah. metropolis in in the capital city of the Philippines. It's, um, it's called GCF. And um, it's for I think that time four or five thousand strong. Yeah. And it's it's so it's 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 big, right? And I was uh, part of the missions team. I was a sort of a missions pastor, missions and mobilization, and we were supporting, coordinating, and 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 doing some trainings with some, you know, maybe a couple of dozen full time missionaries. And the question. One of the questions that arose my during my time was how how do we send more people or more more specifically how do we train the people who are already moving overseas how do we give how do we ensure that they go with a missional mindset and a skill set that they're ready to disciple people wherever the Lord sends them, right? Mm. And so this whole conversation regarding um, raising a, a co-vocational mission force, you know, be, became the, the question that we were asking. And my task became, okay, let's create a pathway for these kinds of missionaries. And so to make the long story short, I, I started pursuing um dive in the the professional diving world so i became a scuba diving a professional wow. scuba diving instructor in okay. the philippines and i served in a in a remote island where there were some Wycliffe and new tribes missionaries and um and basically i got to train dive masters and even some of them became instructors but they are missionaries they are hmm. fu- fully not, not fully like highly equipped disciples who who you can god can call them anywhere and you know that they're they're going to make disciples they're going to evangelize they're going to make disciples and eventually a community of followers is going to be formed right so well yeah. let, let me let me just pause on that for a quick second here because I, I don't know if everybody who's listening is familiar with the diaspora of filipinos around the world um who have gone out and uh that that's like this says a cultural phenomenon for you guys, but but what you're saying is that rather than just sending them to the different parts of the world to find work, mm-hmm. to actually send them out as missionaries of the gospel right. and to prepare right. them and equip them, like that's a that's a strong missional DNA behind your work there. Yeah, 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 and 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 that was brought about in the context of me being one of the pastors of. Of a of a very structured, strong, I would say, almost healthy mega church during yeah. that time, yeah. right? 
But what happened that when, when I was doing that training, when I was sent to that remote cluster of islands in my own country, I, I served as a missionary also. Mm. And, and that's, that's how I got to experience the smaller way of doing church, right? Where mm. we, would, we would just intentionally train high school students, Rob, right? High school mm. students, disciple them, meet with them on a daily basis. We, we would wake up, you know, at 5, 5 a.m. and we would meet with them every single day. We would do life together, eat together, go to the hospitals together. Um, and, and what we saw happening was these students, when, when, they, when they step into college or university, instead of simply plugging into a different church, when they're, so normally they would go to the capital, right, to, to yeah. Manila. To study further if they have the chance and and what we would see happening was these young guys instead of just plugging into existing churches they churches would arise like God would 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 <laughs> we would see churches planted wow. through them yeah. whether intentionally or unintentionally right yeah. it's and it's because they have learned to live this evangelistic disciple making lifestyle and I think that that is key, right? Because yeah. because Rob, there's there's also a version of microchurch where it's just a smaller traditional church, and and it's still one person does everything, right? Yeah. But what we saw happening was ordinary people, God using ordinary young people, like without without very long formal theological training, without a lot of resources, without a lot of connection, but they're being used by God in extraordinary ways. Yeah, and I, so, and I, think, yeah. I think it's important to differentiate. Like a microchurch isn't just a, uh, a church for people who don't like big crowds. It's not just a place for people who don't like big church, but they want to just get together with some, really pe- some people and have really good coffee and uh, casseroles. But a microchurch is an environment where people come together who want to be uh, full-on disciples and right. um, who want to make disciples and uh, be the true church of the gospel. Is that? Yeah. 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 Well, exactly. And that and that's ideally, okay? Of course, when, when you start pursuing microchurches, you're going to have a mix of people. You have, you're going to have people who are also their primary motivation is just the disgruntlement, you know, from yes. from the traditional system, and it takes a long time to transition and and to assist this 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 kind of people in their spiritual journey. Yeah. But when you have a person without prior, you know, who don't they do not have any background to unlearn, right? It's it's a different story for yeah. sure. Well, I know when, when I planted uh, Crosspoint Church 12 years ago in Edmonton, uh, we had all sorts of people from so many different church backgrounds, and everybody who came had their own vision of a perfect church, right? So <laughs> so much of that early work was just establishing the core DNA of this movement. Right. What's it going to look like? And, and, right. and you know, by... by Turning to scripture and turning in prayer and and you know having lots of lots of discussions about what uh, what discipleship was. So yeah, mm-hmm. I, I can I can see all of that. Hey, listen, let's 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 talk about um, your journey then from scuba diver to Canada. Tell us the rest of that mm-hmm. story. Oh yeah, <laughs> sorry I got distracted there. So no, anyway, it was my fault. we 
my wife and I, we were preparing to be sent out to a creative access nation, right? These places mm. that, that where it's illegal to do a mission work or to plant churches. And, yeah. and, and I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm now a dive instructor. I, have a, uh, I, I can have a different identity or a cover, if you, if you may. Um, but um, before doing that, we did a sabbatical. We decided to visit a, rel a brother in Calgary, um, here in Canada. And so I got here, but naturally I got connected to churches too, you know, visited. I was um, invited to speak in some church camps. And I got, I got to meet a group of um, millennial guys, you know, who, who are coming from different churches. And one time we were having dinner and um and and they asked me to talk about jesus and what jesus is doing in other parts of the world and and uh, mission work and stuff like this disciple making and after several hours of, of speaking to them I, I i looked up and some of them were crying and and I, i'm like what's what happened and they said oh jeremiah no one talks about jesus to us this way mm. right and I guess that was the beginning of when God started to impress in our hearts and to, he's trying to make us see how Canada is also a mission field, right? We, yeah. I was not seeing Canada as this mission field compared to other mission fields that we, we were targeting to, to pursue, to go to. Yeah. But when, when we heard that and then when we really started opening our eyes, the, we realized, man, the harvest is plentiful here, right? In fact, mm -hmm. it's even more challenging in many, in many respects, right? The, the ground here is kind of maybe harder, harder yeah. than, than other countries who, you know, e even though some of the other countries are, are predominantly Muslim, let's say, or predominantly Hindu, but here, there's openness, but there's like underground hostility yeah. towards the gospel and, yeah. and other challenges too. So, yeah. So you decided you're going to stay? Yeah. Well, we prayed about it, went back home, prayed about it. And um, we felt like the Lord wanted us to be here. And so now we're here. Uh, until when? We're not sure. But for, for now, we are, we are seeing God move in, in great ways and we want to be part of it. Yeah. Um, I wonder if you might be able to share maybe some stories of uh, how God's been working in your micro churches. I mean, I know when, when you and I spoke, we, you shared a story about uh, a young man who um, you had a chance to disciple. Um, mm. Got any stories you want to share? Oh, I'm, I'm not sure which young man you're referring to. I have a database. Of young okay. Men, but, um, yesterday I was talking to a young man. Uh, he's 18 years old and I met him when he was 17 years old. So this was just uh, last year. And th this guy is yet to be baptized, actually. That's why mm. yesterday we were talking about the meaning of it and, and um, several others. But he professed his faith to Jesus after seven months of us meeting together in coffee shops or in wow. fa, you know, restaurants. And he has always a battery of questions about Christianity. He, I think his, his family is originally from uh, South America, and uh, there, there's a lot of color, colorful background there. But finally, after seven months, to make the long story short, he professed his uh, faith to Jesus. Um, and so I said to him, um, 
uh, bro, it's it's a blessing to follow Jesus. And and obviously he knows it because he just made that decision mm-hmm. after seven months of considering it. But then I said, Ali, it's, um, it's a great blessing to lead others to follow Jesus. He was nodding his head. He agrees. He's imagining already leading some of his friends or family to Jesus. But then I said, bro, it's even a greater blessing to actually start your, your, a new spiritual family, a new spiritual faith community. Hmm. And he said, oh, Jeremiah, that's actually what I'm thinking of doing. Because he, he's been, I've invited him in some microchurch gatherings and he is always a blessing for him. Right? In fact, one of the things that, that was a witness to him was how this group of people, the microchurch that he, he was able to observe, he always feels good when when he's there. Maybe he finds, you know, he observes love and care and acceptance yeah. and belongingness, right? And so the church, the microchurch has become a mighty witness for him as a as a witness for the gospel. And and so because he sees the simplicity of it, the first day when he professed his faith to Jesus, he could already imagine himself being a leader of a, a microchurch mm. like that, right? Yeah. But finally, I said, well, bro, the greatest blessing would be um, for you to equip others to start their own spiritual families. And and so I, I, now you're a follower of Jesus, you are blessed. But I want you to experience the great, greater, and greatest blessing. Mm. Would you like for me to train you? And so our journey continued. Um, and uh, But... But this guy, man, I was, I should not have been surprised, but mm. he just kept sharing the gospel to people, right? Mm. He, I, I, when I started counting, I think two months into his being a follower of Jesus, two months, he was two months old as a follower of Jesus. He has shared the gospel to 150 people, bro, mm. right? Wow. And he's introduced to me some of his friends that he's reaching out to. And um, uh, three months, I think three months ago, he's, he started his own group already. Wow. And I know it because I, I, you know, he invited them to our place and we were having a, a you know, a three-thirds this group discussion. And um, my hope is that this, this guy that he's reaching out to would, would eventually t- turn to the Lord just like he did. Mm. And, but when that happens... He's, he's going to be the leader of these guys. And this group, it's, it's not going to be just a, a discovery Bible study group. It's going to be a, another microchurch, which this new believer leads. And again, Rob, this guy, we're still talking about his baptism, right? But he knows this thing we call the duckling discipleship principle, where yeah. you don't wait until you have fully learned anything before you start sharing it to others. Right. In yeah. fact, I told him, bro, you're not going to fully learn everything. Right. But what you need to do is whenever you learn a small thing, part of us pursuing faithfulness is understanding it, obeying it ourselves and sharing it to others. This is the three things that we always do every time the Lord speaks to us through his word. Right. We understand it or memorize it so that it's easy for us to obey it and share it. Yeah. And he does yeah. that. Yeah. And most people end at obedience and doing it, but not necessarily sharing it. And that's such a mm. crucial part of your DNA as your movement. Um, I, I love the fact that he's, uh, 
when he was born into the family of God, he immediately had a family to be part of. Like he was already birthed into like a, a micro church. And, and I know in, in my challenge in pastoral ministries, oftentimes people will come to faith in Christ, but they don't have that infrastructure of family that's around them immediately that they can mm-hmm. uh, get into, you know, real and, and ask those questions and, and be discipled and be transformed. So, oh, yeah, uh, man. You know, yesterday when I was talking to him, he was quite teary eyed because I told him I was training him how to make a list of people to pursue, right? And I said, the first thing we do, bro, is we pray for them, right? So he was asking what what I meant. I said, Alejandro, did you know that when we were talking, like last year, when we we were having our meetings, people were actually praying. The the church that that you, the guys that you met, the microchurch, we Mm. were all praying for you, man. Mm-hmm. And he, he was a, a bit surprised and he's learning the, 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 the importance of prayer in everything that we do. But he was also learning at the same time the importance of, of a, a microchurch, of a, a group of people who are actually wanting and asking God for the same thing. Yeah. So, wow. So, yeah. you know, you, you talked a little bit earlier on about some of the challenges maybe of doing this in a Canadian context. I mean, you talked about that cultural difference, first of all, versus a, you know, individualistic society, which Canadians tend to be, but uh, um, you coming out of more of a communal kind of culture. Um, any other challenges about, you know, that you face in trying to implement this in a, in a Canadian context? Yeah, well, there's consumerism, which is a universal okay. problem. I think yeah. there's nominalism, easy believism. Yeah. But I think here, what is very pronounced is this learned helplessness. You know, there's mm. this the undue dependence on a few people to do the work of the ministry mm. instead of looking up to their spiritual leaders for, you know, um, how, how do we do what you guys do also? You know, how, yeah. how do we imitate what you do? How do we, oh, how can you empower us to do ministry? And I guess uh, it's, uh, so it's a systemic thing, right? Mm. When, when you have a very, a, a very professionalized kind of ministry, again, not, nothing wrong about that, but the danger is people thinking, okay, I'm, I'm going to, be present on a weekly basis. I'm going to pay my my spiritual juice, um, and I'm going to let others do the ministry, right? And they miss out, Rob. They miss out on the joy of actively and personally participating in the kingdom work of God, advancing His His gospel one person at a time, making disciples one person at a time, because. I, I am deeply, deeply convicted that every disciple of Jesus is privileged. God, Jesus is so eager to mm. empower each of his disciples to yeah. make disciples. Yeah. And I think that it, when Jesus said, I'm going to be with you as you do this, right? I think he's talking about his manifest presence. He's talking about how individual disciples will get to experience the manifest presence of Jesus. Yeah. Right. And so if people are not in that journey, then they miss out on experiencing Jesus in a meaningful way. And they miss out on the joy of of um, seeing God transform a person because it's it's very addicting right? <laughs> like to, to be in the front seat, seeing God transform people. It's 
I mean, people can easily become Jesus junkies, you know, if they just get involved, their their feet get uh, wet into this whole world of disciple making. But a lot of people never start that journey. Yeah. I mean, I think it's because of that learned helplessness. So mm -hmm. for me, one of the challenge is the unlearning process, right? It's mm -hmm. so hard for me sometimes to be so patient with people because, you know, for, for a brand new believer, it, the journey can sometimes be like quicker, you know, faster because we read something, you know, so Alejandro, my, my guy, my, my, this new guy, we read something, there's no more argument. This is what God said. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> but, but sometimes for 10 years old, like, 20-year-old believers or even five-year-old believers who have been accustomed to a different culture of, yeah. of, um, of doing church, of being a disciple, it's, it's tough. Yeah. Yeah, I love that phrase, learned helplessness. Um, and, and, you know, I, as, as a pastor of 30 years, I, I know that we can, um, we can sometimes reinforce that, um, that structure that can I mean, as much as we believe in the priesthood of all believers, we can somehow mm -hmm. reinforce that structure that, you know, you need the leader, you need the, you yes. know, the paid expert, the professional clergy. And, um, and that's not to minimize that model. But mm -hmm. I mean, we want to see the people of God empowered right. to be the people yeah. of God on mission in the world. And um, yeah. so how do you get there? Right. That's a challenge. I, I know that you're working with uh, some pastors to kind of answer this question for them. Um, you, you guys are meeting together uh, regularly. Um, what do you say to them? How, how are you? How are you working with them on this? Yeah, well, we we start we start from the the, the foundational stuff, right? We start from the theology of uh, disciple and disciple making. What is it? Who is it for? What does it look like? How does Jesus show us? How how is his life the blueprint in how to do this? And how, how is it that he expects every, every one of his followers to actually live just like him, to have the same priorities as him, to have the same values as him? Hmm. And, and you know that the person is in, the, in that journey of walking like Jesus, of living exactly like Jesus, when you see that person starting to make disciples too, right? Because Jesus was a, a disciple maker. He was quite a focused, committed disciple maker. So a very a starting point uh, passage uh, for, for leaders that I, I normally share, maybe in the first or second session, Rob, is the, the prayer of Jesus in John 17. Yeah. Right? It's a very revealing prayer. And, and it, to, to undiscerning eyes, they, it, it's, it's a normal prayer, right? But it's actually a very revealing prayer. In verse 4, he says, um, I, I, well, he, he says at the beginning, I glorified you, Father, um, glorify me. But in verse 4, he says, I have finished the work that you have given me to do. And, and I, asked, I asked the pastors that I meet, so what, is, what was the work of Jesus that he's referring to? Uh, and normally that's his his work on the cross, right? And and for many people, that's that's it. The work of Jesus is exclusively his work on the cross. And yet this this prayer in John seventeen is very interesting because he said, "I have finished the work that you have given me to do." And this he said prior to going to the cross, 
right? So before Jesus went to, to do his work on the cross, which was a central part of his mission, he was able to pray to the Father, I have done it, accomplished, finished, completed the work that you have given me to do. And then he starts enumerating the things that he did to the few men that the Father has given him to disciple. Yeah. And so in that prayer, you can see that Jesus was a focused, committed disciple maker. Yeah. And that's the very thing that he commissioned his disciples to do. And so this whole affair of learning from Jesus and learning how to live and walk like Jesus is a pathway towards becoming not just a disciple, but actually a disciple maker. And so we start there. And I, and I asked I ask the, the, the leader or the, the pastor, so how many in your group, in your people are at least on, on this path of becoming healthy, reproducing, multiplying disciple makers. And usually, Rob, the answer is very, very low. Yeah. Um, in fact, uh, we have this um, online tool. I think it's, it's uh, via exponential.org, becoming a level five. You can, you can have a very systematic way of assessing where you are as a, as a leader or where your church is as an organization in terms yeah. of multiplication. Right, and so we start there, and when they when they start seeing, man, what have we been pursuing, right? Yes, we're we're doing a lot of good things, but the things that Jesus expects us to do, we're actually neglecting it, right? Yeah. And so that that becomes a foundational uh, beginning of of this journey with leaders, and and again, it's not without challenges, right? Because the the if if the culture of a church is one of a non-disciple making culture then the primary contributor of that culture also is the pastor right and so uh for for these pastors to start transitioning their churches to health first to health and then to reproduction and then to multiplication it can take so many trial and error you know things yeah. experiences but but it's been rewarding. In fact, uh, last um, last Sunday, uh, me and, and several other pastors who have who are pursuing this this disciple making culture, yeah. we collaborated together to put some some of the guys that we are we are training, some of the groups that we are leading, to work together and start a new uh, church community, basically. Right, mm -hmm. uh, and and it's such an exciting thing to see. But it happened after almost a year of of us meeting together every Tuesday morning, you know, for four or five hours, one on one, doing accountability, doing some coaching, uh, struggling through some of the things that we need to unlearn or some of the things that we need to uh, uh, put less priority on. And uh, but it's a rewarding journey. Mm -hmm. It is possible. Yeah. So for, you know, for some of our listeners who, who are continuing to pastor traditional churches, um, which is, I mean, is very much needed. We, we, there are established communities of faith everywhere and they're, they're doing good works and, and God is, is with them and at work in them. But I mean, for some of these listeners right now who are listening, who are saying, well, I, I'd love to move my church towards being disciple making um, as a priority, having disciple making as a priority. I mean, what, what kind of advice would you give to them? What would you what would you say to them? Well, practically speaking, ministry wise, if um, if they're in in the place of readiness to pivot 
to pursue more intentionally a culture of disciple making well simply start start smaller groups right within the church start smaller groups and because that's how we can train leaders right that's how we that's how we can see disciple makers when they would actually disciple people right a lot of times even though disciple making has been is being pursued it's 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 still just being talked about it's being preached it's being taught but how is it being practiced hmm. so um the, the, these leaders and pastors i i asked them at the beginning okay so how many people are you on an active relation disciple making relationship with right and and when i start defining what that is they actually say i'm not in any relationship like that okay right yeah it's it's a public you know i have one kind of relationship with members and yeah. it's this you know weekly gathering the preaching. preacher yeah 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 so I mean that's we don't want to remove that, but we we cannot produce disciples that way only, yeah. right? That that can be a good part of what we do, but we need to be per, we need to start knowing where our people are. So having having the skill and the ability to assess where a person is. So normally. Um, I would encourage them to look at it in four chairs or four stages, right? So you have a, not a person who is not yet a disciple. And maybe this is a person who is already attending, you know, he knows the right things, he sings songs of worship to God. But when you ask him whether he or she is a disciple in terms of what Jesus said is a disciple, then you might identify this person as a not yet disciple. And then there are those who are new disciples. So are not yet disciples, we want to engage them, right? We want to pray for them, care for them, share the gospel to them. Uh, new disciples, we want to establish them to become healthy disciples, right? What are the rhythms? What, what does it mean? To, what, what's my identity as a, as a new disciple? So establishing them to become a healthy disciples that's founded on the biblical, you know, the biblical identity of a disciple of Jesus. And... And the third, the third chair is equipping them for reproduction. How do we equip them to share, you know, the gospel, to share their testimony, to start sharing the things that they read from scripture through their daily journals or daily, you know, devotions, right? So those kinds of skills. And then finally, once they're discipling others, how do we coach them to disciple their disciples to disciple others, right? That will be the fourth chair. So um, this is this is a good pro, like initial way of helping leaders um, pursue a disciple making culture. Yeah. Where where uh, what percentage of the church memberships are in each of these chairs, and being able to assess where where every uh, everyone is gives them a better picture of, okay, maybe it's because a lot of our activities and programs are actually, you know, for this chair only. And yeah. we don't have a lot of activities. We don't have a lot of efforts or funds going to this this level of, of, of training or, or level of the disciple or this level of disciple. So ha being able to assess. And and that's actually a very important skill as a, as a lead, leader, disciple maker, Rob, right? Is, when you meet a person in one conversation, you can give a fairly accurate assessment of where this person is. Because people in different chairs need different kinds of things. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Ron, Ron, Ron Heifetz, he, he, in his book, um, his research on adaptive leadership, he, he calls that getting up on the balcony. So getting up on the balcony and looking down and seeing where you're really mm -hmm. at. And, and, you know, the first step towards any sort of adaptive changes you want to do in a congregation means you got to get up on the balcony and actually just get a good assessment of, of what's right. going on. Right. So, um, yeah. but I mean, it, there's going to have to be a quite a big shift from, you know, what you're describing and what we might notice is kind of our standard small group environments that we have, right? Um, like that, there's a, there's a DNA shift in the heart of a church community that needs to happen to get there. Um, do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I mean, yeah. to, to get people yeah. to, to think, oh man, I am, uh, a, to be a reproducing disciple whose Jesus is empowered through his Holy Spirit to go and change the world and make disciples. I mean, that's yeah. that's quite a little bit, you know, that's quite different than, hey, uh, hey, it's Bible study tonight. I guess we better go, um, you know, and, oh, did we, <laughs> did we bring dessert? And, you know, you go and you have a good time of, you know, quote-unquote fellowship, and, and that's all good and everything. And then you go home and you go back to work the next morning. I mean, that's, it's a, it's a different kind of animal that we're talking about right. here. No, yes, it is. It is. How would you is. how would you advise like how do they make that DNA shift? Are you saying, you know, start <laughs> small and work your way there? Um, you know, slowly or uh, yeah. I think I think the first thing is not to start something. I, I think the first thing is actually to stop doing something. And what I think we need to stop doing is we need to like we need to stop limiting what God can do and what mm. God wants to do through people, right? Okay. For example, this whole talk of, of disciple-making. You would be surprised, Rob, that leaders vary. Like, the opinions and theological stands vary on the area of, okay, who is supposed to make disciples, right? Because what what the pastor of, or what the leader believes about that question, what how he answers that question makes a huge difference right is it is it just a few is it just a select fully trained qualified few or is it for every single disciple of jesus yeah because if they start having a deep conviction about this one thing i think they can be well on their way right i think the lord will start broadening their horizon and imagination as to what can happen now Unholy contentment is another, I think, part of what you were saying earlier. Yeah, yeah. This is how I describe it. This is unholy contentment. It's, a, you know, how people, like, I'm content with my spiritual, where I am spiritual. Mm. This is this is it. You know, I, I give my 11%, whatever, to the church. I volunteer in some ministry, and th that's it. Yeah. You know, my boxes are ticked. And I think that's, that's a hindrance. And so what I have found useful, I'm going to share with you a, a fundamental passage that I always mm. use at the beginning. When, when I start sensing that God wants me to disciple someone, yeah. I, the, one of the first things that God does is to create a, a holy contentment and a holy uncontentment also, or a, a holy, holy dissatisfaction. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes, there you go. Holy, holy discontent. Yeah. Right? Where God starts to help them see that, okay, you're here right now, but God doesn't want you to stay here. Yeah. Right? He wants you to move. You know you know how I've, I find, like, how I've been doing it recently is, I ask people, Rob, 
let's say this this guy I met recently, Phil, Phil. So after sharing his story, you know, I asked him. So of these ten years that you said you you have been a Christian, a follower of Jesus, would you say that you have ever outdone Jesus? <laughs> and this is a shocking question, Rob. Right? Yeah, like yeah. maybe you're even shocked. Right? But I always ask this, and. Everyone says, of course not. I mean, they, they look at me with, with like with some fear in them. Who, who am I talking to? This guy asking me if I've ever outdone Jesus. And then I have them read Jesus' words in John 14, mm. yeah. right? Because Jesus said to his disciples in John 14, truly, truly, as if anticipating objections and disbelief from his disciples, truly, truly, I tell you, Whoever believes in me will not only do the works that I do, they will do even greater works than this. And of course, this hinges on the understanding of, again, that work of Jesus, right? Which I, I yeah. said earlier in John 17, Jesus gives us a detailed, a more detailed explanation of how he defines his work to be. Yeah. But yeah. he expects his, this, who, he said, whoever believes in me. Right, and so when they start reading that, and we, I mean, for thirty minutes, we'll go through that passage to just unpack it. Then, if they're in a, in a position of readiness, you know what's going to happen, Rob? They're they're going to start to have a bigger vision for their life. Mm. Right? What? This is Jesus' vision for my life. Not only am I going to do His work, but I'm going to even do greater. Than him, of course, not because of my competence or you know your what skills or resources, but because of him who lives in me, who wants to do the same thing that he started two thousand years ago. Yeah, right. And and so ha having that, okay, I'm I'm here. I'm not there yet, but Jesus wants me to be there. I want to pursue that. So when when people want want to go from point A to point B. And, and, and I sense that the, the, the desire is, is real and strong, then I, I ask him, so do you want me to train you? <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and, and I got to filter people actually that way, Rob, because yeah. so, some people are not going to have that holy discontentment, right? Yeah. They don't want the, the boat to run. They're so content with the kind of life that they have, and they, they don't want But there are some who will. Yeah. Yeah. And the cost of following Jesus in that way can be very hard. Like it's a, it's a radical reorientation of your life towards Jesus and his priorities. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that's, that's a big cost to, to take on. It is. Um, it is. But it's a tragic, uh, unfortunately, it's a tragedy that this is not the common understanding of Christianity in this context, Rob. Yeah. Right? Yeah. This, this, one this radical how do you say it, reorientation of life is i i say maybe on the third or fourth meeting with a person the cause of following jesus is everything you actually would have to reckon yourself dead <laughs> <laughs> which right? is which is so fundamentally true of everything that jesus taught and the way that jesus lived you know so yeah. Um, it, it will cost you everything to, to follow it, him. It will cost you, but you, you get Jesus, right? He, he is worthy of everything. Yeah. And, and that's why this, 
being able to say without apology the cause of following Jesus is so crucial because as we do so, we 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 portray the the Jesus who is worthy of everything. Yeah. Right. Not 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 a puny little God that we add to life and he's like a lucky charm for us, right? Oh, he's here to to bless my. No, no, no. He is the guy who created you, who has a purpose for your life, who knows what is best for you, and who has your best interest in mind, and he calls you to trust him fully. Yeah, that, this is it. Right? Yeah, and I and I think the problem is we we often everyone often looks at, and I'll include my me myself in this is everything I have to lose, but misunderstanding or not seeing everything we have to gain. So what does it profit Absolutely. a man to gain the whole world and yet give up his only soul, his mm-hmm. very soul? But on the other side, I mean, we find our life in him and we find joy. Right. In, I mean, I, I, I've never had any greater joy in my life than when I had the chance mm-hmm. to, to bring someone to Jesus or to mentor a mm-hmm. leader who can reproduce the gospel. Right. I mean, there's no greater joy than, than that in this, in this life. I mean, I, obviously my wedding and my children being born and <laughs> all of those things, you know, but, uh, but the, there is a tremendous joy in, in following Jesus and glad obedience, obedience and, mm-hmm. and, and seeing the fruit of that gospel uh, at work in someone's Amen. life. Yeah. Amen. So, um, I know that Send Calgary really values co-vocational ministry. There's a lot of talk about that. Um, and I mean, you you are in a unique role. I mean, you're, you've got like a whole bunch of groups that you're leading and whatnot. But I wonder, can we just talk about that for a minute? Like Send Calgary is, um, and not just Calgary, like the Send movement. I mean, what you guys are doing is, is, is really starting to use this language of co-vocational ministry. Why is that? What's, what's, what's the big deal about that? I think it's because oh, from the get-go, Send Network is all about multiplication, right? Yeah. And um, I think um, uh, across the world, this this whole we we are seeing more and more like pictures of multiplication happening in, in smaller expressions of of the church, and um, and and the key for for this is actually the co-vocation, like raising more. It's easier to produce more co-vocational leaders and planters and pastors, right? Yeah. But I, I, I and and I think that the pandemic really highlighted this, right? Mm-hmm. You have um, a lot of the smaller groups that are more organic and flexible actually thrive during the pandemic. Um, but but I guess it boils down to if our de- so in Sendland, where our desire is to 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 see every man, woman, and child in our city to have multiple opportunities to hear, see, and respond to the gospel. Yeah. And and a huge part of that is collaborating with one another. But but also, how do we see? How do we really see multiplication? Not just addition, right? I mean, yeah. um, I think in the statistics, fourteen to sixteen percent of churches in North America are in that adding. You know, growth. Uh, the rest, eighty more than eighty-five percent of churches are either stagnating or in decline. Yeah. But the 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 fourteen percent or less than fourteen percent, they're in in um, an additional you know trajectory. Yeah. But we don't see a lot of churches that are reproducing in a multiplication way. Yes. Right. Like yeah. two becoming four and four becoming yeah. eight. And um, but and those who do. We're seeing multiplication happening with 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 churches that are 
smaller, more intentional with with co-vocational leaders. So I guess that that's part of, and and I see that too. You know, when I was assessed as a church planter, Rob, mm -hmm. this whole co-vocational thing was fairly new to so many people in our network, right? Uh, in fact, <laughs> there were some people who didn't really know what how what I was doing and how we were pursuing that. But we kept on persisting into it, and, and now I, I've been part of several assessments as an assessor, and we are seeing more and more co-vocational people, you know, uh, nurses or accountants or, you know, people with normal normal day-to-day -day jobs. But they're, they're deciding to see that this, these jobs are part of the sacred calling of God for their lives. And mm. they're asking, okay, what does it look like to, um, um, to pursue ministry, to disciple people, and to lead a community of believers even, you know, without necessarily leaving my job. Yes. You know, I, I, have, I have this guy, Rob, he's, he's a PhD student in the U of C doing um, uh, uh, a PhD in, in uh, chemical engineering or something like this. And when I started sharing the, the Jonathan Initiative and how we seek to train people who, to become co-vocational church planters, you know what he told me, this guy? He said, Jeremiah, can you tell me more about that? And to make the long story short, this is a person that who has already sensed that God is calling him to ministry, but he's like, so do I have to leave this? I really love chemical engineering. You know, I really love this this job. I want to pursue it. God has gifted me to it, you know. And but but so far in his life, the only option was, you know, if you're going to go to ministry, then you you leave this. Right. Yeah. But now I, I started talking to him about this whole co-vocational approach and he was quite ready. Right. And so I immediately started training this guy, Rob, and maybe next year we'll see him. He He's now like he's a level three disciple maker now. Mm. And when he steps into level four, that means he's leading a micro church already. Yeah. So stay tuned. I'm going to tell you more stories. Okay. I'd well, uh, love to hear it. I'd love to hear it. Well, and I appreciate uh, you You guys make a, a distinction between bivocational and co-vocational. And, and one of the clear distinctions you would say is that a bivocational person in ministry hopes that they'll eventually get into full-time mm. ministry. But your your philosophy is that you want people to stay in co-vocational. Um, so they are connecting as much as they can and rubbing shoulders with people, um, and they're, yeah. they're working through their careers. Yeah. Well, yeah, yes. Let, let, me just, let me just correct Nuance it a little it. bit. Nuance it, yeah. N not, not necessarily that I want them to stay, but they don't need to leave it, right? Yeah, okay. In the future, if, yeah. if the Lord leads, let's say their church becomes a big church and yeah. it becomes a more structured church, a network of micro churches, and they sense that the Lord calls them to go full-time. We're all for that. Okay. We celebrate that. I mean, yeah. if God calls them to do that, to go to seminary, to get formal training, you know, like yeah. let's Great. go. Yeah. But at the very beginning, they don't. They don't need to. There's no. It's not a necessity. Right. Yes. Yeah. I guess uh, with the bivocational, sometimes you can see your job as kind of like. Um, I got this other job. It's kind of helping me to find a necessary me. evil. It's a necessary <laughs> evil, right? Whereas co-vocational yeah. is like, no, yeah. this job is a great Embracing opportunity. It. Yeah. Yeah. Embracing yeah. the job. Yes, yeah. exactly. exactly. And if the Lord keeps you in it, the Lord keeps you in it. That's yeah. uh, because that's... This, this, this PhD student in UFC, I would hate to pull him out of that level of influence right this right. sphere where only he can can reach i don't have access to that group of people that he has access to yeah right yeah 
Yeah. yeah. Well, Jeremiah, uh, this has been rich. I I, uh, I see that our time has all but gone. Um, if some of our listeners are interested in learning more about uh, the work you're doing or with Send, uh, how can they get a hold of you? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so they can email me at jonathaninitiative at gmail.com. So that's jonathaninitiative at gmail.com. And, and you know what? You, you can also just text me, 780-716-1208. So, wow, you're a brave man giving us your cell phone brave. number. Has <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jonathan got it? Uh, you know what? We'll put it in our show notes um, yeah, uh, as well. Yeah. So thanks for sharing yeah. that. Uh, wow, this has been rich. Thank you for your time. And uh, we'll, we'll hopefully catch up with you again in the future. I'm glad, Rob. Thank you for the opportunity. All right. God bless. You've been listening to the Church of the North podcast, a production of Briarcrest College and Seminary. For more information about the podcast, visit churchinthenorth.ca. To learn more about Briarcrest, visit briarcrest.ca. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard today, please share this episode with other ministry leaders. 